Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes and figs from thistles? Likewise, a good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only the one who does the, only the one who does the word of my Father will enter heaven. Okay, sorry. Only the. Many will say to me on this day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not, in your name, did we not cast out demons? And in your name, did we not perform many miracles? And I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who builds his house upon the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house, Yet it did not fall because its foundation was upon the rock. But anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish builder who built his house upon the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. After when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teachings. Because Jesus taught as one who had authority and, and not as their teachers of the law. Well done. I am sure that, like me, you've been really impressed with our youth that have memorized the Sermon on the Mount and have been quoting bits of it to us. Whenever you memorize something and you've got it down and then you stand in front of people it changes but here's the thing only a handful of people out of this whole congregation had the nerve to stand up today so i i think we need to let our le our youth know <clears throat> Thank you. Thanks so much. Today marks the, um, the end of our Sermon on the Mount series, but it cannot end the end of our engagement with the sermon because this sermon lays out the rules for our lives. This is what defines a Jesus follower, a disciple. Someone came up to me today, and, and I, I know who it is, but if I don't ask permission, I don't use names, and asked, what does it mean when the Bible says, I desire your mercy and not sacrifice? Because there's a whole lot in the Bible about making sacrifices. The answer was this. God wants us changed. And what we do on the outside in worship is supposed to be a reflection of who we are on the inside. And if all we live is an outside life, God is not pleased. The inside has to be changed. And the Sermon on the Mount is not a list of do's, but rather a list of be. This is who we are. This is our constitution. This is our high calling. As stated last week, it's all too easy to get our eyes off of Jesus. 
and our eyes on something else. And so he gives them <clears throat> the warning that we've seen in, in Matthew 7, 15 through 23. Watch what you're looking at. Where are your eyes? Watch out. Now we're going to talk about what this means. For false prophets, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By the way, that's just, there's an ancient series of tales where wolves would put the sheep's uh, skin on them to infiltrate the herd. That's what this comes from. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Let's go to the next one. Or slides are going, there we go. I know it's in there. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. See how hard this is to memorize? Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, ye shall recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. We'll stop right there. Hold the slide. This is where legalists like to jump up and say, that's right, we have to have these precision. No, no. What is the will of, of the Father in heaven? It's what has been said in the Sermon on the Mount. That's the will be these kind of people. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast, drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, if you don't get a wee bit of a shudder on that, then you're not paying attention. This is supposed to get our attention. And it certainly did if you heard in that last verse. They said, this, he teaches like nobody we know. This is different stuff. We are not judges. Jesus made that very plain in Matthew chapter 7, the first couple of verses. We're not judges. Then he says, but be careful about those who leave bad fruit or bear bad fruit. This is not a contradiction. We talked a bit about this last week. We have to do this again today because it is such a trap to fall into. Some will say, you can't judge anything. You can't judge anything. No matter what behavior it is, you've just got to let it go. And that's not what Jesus is saying. We are not allowed to decide who goes into heaven or not. We're not allowed to decide who is loved by God or not. We are to love everybody, even our enemies. We are to serve all, even our enemies. We are to do good to all, even our enemies. Have you noticed the word enemy? It keeps popping up here. Because enemies are a reality. It's not as if by, um, you know, I, I remember there was a, you, you're so blessed, teens. You are so blessed. You did not live during this era. There was an era where there was a TV commercial that was so sweet, you could hear teeth rotting. Uh, and, and if you bought the product, it's possible that could happen. They, were, uh, they would dance around on a hillside saying, I'd like to teach the world to sing. Do you remember that? All right, now that's in your head the rest of the day. Welcome. Um, and the idea was if we hand each other Coca-Cola, that would bring peace to the world. I'm not exactly sure that panned out as promised. We don't have to walk around acting like the world isn't the world. We know what the world's like. We get caught in it sometimes. Sometimes we're the problem. We lived in Myrtle Beach for a year. Myrtle Beach has um, four roads and uh, four million people uh, trying to get in or out at any given time. And there would be people that would come to the church building and they'd go, it's so, it's, the traffic is just awful. I'd say, when did you notice the traffic is awful? Well, on our drive here. So you're part of the problem. <laughs> P 
People do not appreciate that. They do not appreciate that. Sometimes we are the world. We are the problem. And so we're not judges. But we're to keep our eyes open. And whenever he says, beware of false prophets, I can never forget my first fearful moment in my, in my life. I don't even know how old I was. I was probably four to six years old, somewhere in there. And my father took us to a Christian university for a Christian lectureship. And there were kids' programs, but Dad never really trusted them, so I, I, I was to sit there and listen. And all I remember is this man was mad, the preacher. He was yelling. He was red-faced, sweat popping up everywhere as he was criticizing a songbook, which churches had just purchased. A songbook. All right. <clears throat> we used to put slides on paper. That's it. Uh, and so, all right, now that... We killed trees. It was wanton destruction. Uh, so, but because it had a couple songs in it that he did not appreciate the doctrine in, and the whole room was going, rah, 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 and he even threw the book. And I was thinking, if he ever gets loose from whatever's holding him behind that pulpit, we're all dead. <laughs> Is Jesus saying, because this song didn't say exactly the same thing that you think? No. What's a false preacher? What's a false teacher? we got to talk about that. He even defines it. He says, look at their life. What do they leave behind them? What do they leave behind them? We're to look at our lives. We're to look at our history and say, what have we left behind us? What have we done with our life? When people contact us and they're with us, are we a healing, graceful, loving presence? Or do we leave wreckage in our path? This is, a, this is a Sunday where the kids are in the room, so we're not going to talk much about this at all. We're just going to refer to it for the adults in the room. The news is full of people whose treatment of women and young boys is now being made public. They have left wreckage behind them for years and years and years. And we can cry, we could get into the weeds here and yell, why didn't anybody bring it up earlier? I, and that's, an, that's very legitimate, but that's not the point of this. The point is... What is the fruit they left behind them? What is the fruit these men have left behind them? Broken people, insulted people, hurt people. Jesus says, you're allowed to look for that. Keep your eyes open for that. What have they done with their lives? Did they leave disrespected, broken people? Or did they leave loving, grace-filled people behind them? Sometimes when, um, when I, I sit and contemplate that the road ahead of me is not nearly as long as the road behind me. That's not morbid, by the way. It's reality. It helps you understand your, where you are in, in reality. And so I see that, and it, it makes each day a bit more precious. Um, or at least I, I can say, well, won't have to do this much more. Whatever it is. I, I want to, I talk to God about it. Because the fact is, as I've always made very open and plain with you, I am as broken as anybody in this room. I am as fault-ridden as anybody in this room. This is the easiest place in the world to hide if you let people hide there. But the fact is, I will never get to the day, the moment, the minute, where I don't need a Savior, and a supernatural Savior at that. And yet, I've tried to leave behind me churches full of grace, love, and people full of that. That's been hard. In fact, Cammie and I sometimes look around and we can see God 
I'm not going to talk for her, speak for her on this. I can see a God a lot plainer in the rearview mirror than through the windscreen. How about you? You know, and up here I'm going, ah, no, where is he? Back there. Oh, there he was. And we look at our children and we look at each other and we say, how'd that happen? We had no idea how to raise kids and they turned out fantastic. And it'd been, we've had people come to us and say, we'd like your advice on raising kids. We lean over and go, we have no clue. <laughs> Nothing. <clears throat> they may as well have been raised by wolves, but the spirit evidently intervened. If you work with God, he will work with you and the fruit will be good. If you don't, you'll leave behind broken people, broken churches. Broken churches. I had a preacher once berating me and declaring that I, he, he was a sound preacher. That's a phrase. I'm not going to describe why. He was a sound preacher and I was not. And I said, what have you left behind you? And he looked upon the broken churches and the split churches he had created as signs of his faithfulness. And I'm going, uh-uh. Have you read the Sermon on the Mount? Good fruit comes from good lives. Let's step back for a moment. What's the word false mean? English changes. Words, English has more words in it than any other language. In fact, we have twice as many words in English as the language that comes in second place. That's very descriptive, but that's also confusing. The word false, what does it mean? In scripture, the word false does not mean somebody who disagrees with you about a point in doctrine. It just doesn't. Look for it. In fact, you will see time and time again, it has a different definition at work. Think about the word wisdom. When we use the word that person's wise, we mean they know stuff. In Scripture, wisdom doesn't mean that. Take a look at James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility, that comes from wisdom. Now notice that. Have you ever noticed that the way we use the word wisdom, humility goes away? I know everything, right? No, wisdom should bring humility. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Let's go to our next slide, please. Such wisdom, by the way, they didn't use quotes. <laughs> we put that in there. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly and spiritual demonic. That's pretty serious. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. There's a broken fruit. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, look how he defines it. It's first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive. Submissive. Well, i got to stop here for just for a moment. I won't tell you what college it was, but it's a Christian college. My parents thought that would help me, and they sent me to it when I was 16. And they introduced this guy in chapel as the, as the, the, the future of the churches of Christ and, and, and psychology and the like. He was going to be the head of psychology. I was very excited to meet him. I walked up to him, stuck my hand out, and introduced myself, and I called him brother, and he stopped. He didn't put his hand out, looked down as anybody can look down on me. I'm aware of that. It's a height issue. But he looked down on me scornfully and said, that's doctor such and such. And immediately inside, I didn't know what was wrong, but I knew that was wrong. The wiser you are, the more humble you ought to be. I got to tell you this, a couple of weeks ago, 
a young lad, let's say about eight years old, walked up to me before services. I'm a bit busy before services because this is my only gig. And so I, I got to get, get it all in. He, an eight-year-old walked up to me and he said, I need an envelope. <laughs> okay. So I, I went and got him an envelope. And I thought, that is so cool that we have a church where an eight-year-old can walk up to his senior minister and say, I need something. It's time to get busy, little Bible boy. Go get that. <laughs> Got it. And by the way, I think he was making a contribution to the building capital campaign. So, you know, wow. Wow. What a great guy. The more submissive you are in Scripture, the wiser you are. There you go. Full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere, peacemakers. Wise people are peacemakers who sow in peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. There's the fruit. There's the fruit of it. See how wisdom means something different? The word false means something different in Scripture. I think I've told this before, so I'll be very brief. I was in East Tennessee um, having difficulty with the lingo, but making it go. This was years and years ago. And it was at a lunch table with a bunch of people I'd just gone to church with. We were having a good time. And at that time, we had parrots. We took care of parrots. One lived with us. Others would just come visit us from time to time. And no, they were real parrots. It wasn't our imagination. This is uh, actual stuff. And, and when I talked about the parrot, one of the deacons there looked at me and he goes, isn't it ill? And I talk about a non-sequitur. I said, excuse me? He goes, it, your bird, isn't it ill? And I was thinking, who, who would start a rumor that my parrot has a disease of some sort. And I said, no, it's, it's, it's healthy. And, and he goes, no, ill. He was getting red-faced because he realized he, we weren't communicating. And I was getting hurt for him because I don't want to embarrass the guy. Finally, somebody at the table said, he means ill-tempered. Okay, then. There's a way to actually say ill-tempered to avoid this guy. But I didn't say that either. His word ill meant bad mood, temperamental. That's not what I heard. When we say false, all my life I've been told it was because people take the Lord's Supper wrong, or they sing wrong, or they do this wrong. No, no, no. Read the scripture. Look at everybody they called a false teacher. Look at 2 Peter for a definition. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 2. There are also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Let's look. They secretly introduced destructive heresies, that means divisions, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, denying Jesus, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct. All right, people, this, just, this isn't singing a song you disagree with. This isn't having a different order of worship or a different way of getting elders put in. This is depraved. Will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has been long hanging over them. Their destruction has not been sleeping. Peter keeps on def uh, defining this later on. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they're not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Does this sound like somebody that disagrees with you about what's going to happen at the end of time? No. 
This is a perverted individual. Bold and arrogant. Wow. Yet even, even the angels, although they are stronger and more powerful angels, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people, the false teachers, blaspheme and matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like animals, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they've done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. Again, is this a different kind of false teacher than perhaps you had expected? Yeah. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you with eyes full of adultery. They never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezar, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice, restrained the prophet's madness. These are I'm just going to keep reading this because this is your definition. We've got to get our heads right about this. These people are springs without water, mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Did you guys know that was in there? That's in there. That's what a false preacher is, or a false teacher is, according to Scripture. Again, I cannot stress this enough. When I was growing up, sincere people labeled everybody else false. Because sometimes the length of their hair, sometimes the, the style of worship. I, I can, you know, sometimes the way they prayed. I, I was a teenager once when a young man got up to say a prayer. During the prayer, began to cry. He was so emotionally hit. And he was reprimanded. We don't do that kind of thing. People, that's not a false preacher. The person reprimanding them is. They are they're breaking up things without right. They're making laws without right. These are not people who are just disagree with. These are uh, uh, adulterers. These are destructive, loudmouth, brutal people. Think of a David Koresh here. Or a Jim Jones. If you don't know what those names are, it's just because news cycles cycle too quickly. People who lead others to destruction. Think of those who are millionaires today because they preach Jesus merely so they can get the social security checks of the listeners. And they are there. You might wonder why we have to be warned about such obvious frauds. And the answer is heartbreaking. Because their people always fall for them. Why? Because we are always looking for the lesser so that we can feel greater. And while we do that, we look for a leader to help us locate the lesser so that we can feel greater because we walk with that leader. We need an enemy and we need somebody to look down upon. And when a leader walks around and says, I found them, we fall for anything. If you don't understand that, I want to ask you a question. When Stalin killed, the numbers are imprecise, but perhaps upward of 20 million people. When Hitler's war and depravity 
killed many millions of people. I have no idea what the total number of that was. Most people know the name, the number six million Jews, but he also slaughtered Jehovah's Witnesses, Lutherans, homosexuals. He went after everybody. Where did he get all that help? Where did he get depraved people to shove others into the showers? The answer is they're always there looking for somebody to treat as lesser so that they can feel greater and looking for a leader who will let them do it. Our leader leads us in a different path. We do not treat anybody as lesser or as our enemy. Sun Young Moon told people he was Jesus. Millions followed, and the Unification Church is still a major power in Asia and still owns some American newspapers. Scientology has to be one of the most obvious, blatant frauds of all time. And yet, Hollywood stars that you know pour millions into it and declare allegiance to it. So who do you follow? Jesus, by the way, is not helping you pick a church here. <laughs> all of those arguments we have about churches hadn't existed yet. He's talking to them. He's saying, pick your leader very carefully. What does your leader ask you to do? Is it adultery? Is, is he asking you out of greed? Or is he leading you to live like the Sermon on the Mount? Pick your leader carefully. Which, what's your foundation? They could easily compare Jesus to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. One bound all kinds of laws on them that Jesus did not bind and God did not bind. In fact, Jesus said, they bind so many burdens on you, they themselves cannot keep those laws, but they bind them on you. Or how about the Sadducees who would lead them into a liberalism that meant nothing and believed nothing? No. He says, I want you to find somebody who leads you in the Sermon on the Mount life. That life. That's who you follow. We have, sometimes it's rather frightening when I think of it, we have thousands and thousands who listen to us online every Sunday. So I want to address them for a minute. Many of them are isolated communities. Many of them are just people looking for spiritual food during the week, which is wonderful. Some of them are young preachers looking for ideas. I would suggest that this might get you in trouble if you follow me, but there you are. Anybody listening, I want to just, even in a room, wherever they are, please, who are you following? Don't give yourself to anybody but Jesus. Last night, we went to the Gaylord Hotel to look at the lights because it seems to be the law. Um, everybody else was going there. They were well-behaved, the law-abiding citizens, sitting on the interstate doing nothing for a long time. That's how we spend our Thanksgiving. So anyway, while we were there, one of my, uh, one of my guitar heroes walked by. Tommy Emanuel was there. Now, if you don't know who Tommy Emmanuel was, you and I can't be friends, but the point is this. <laughs> yes, we can. You'll see why I'm saying this in a bit. Tommy's probably the greatest fingerstyle guitarist alive right now. And he's just, he's just amazing. Plus, he's just a nice guy. Very accessible, very, very nice guy. That said, let's say, I, I have tickets to his next show at the Ryman in February because I plan ahead. And, and I'm kind of a fangirl when it comes to that. And the point, there's a point. I want to get to the point here. I'm not going to say I'm going to a show and it's going to be awesome. I can't make that judgment. 
He's not my God. I will go to the show. I expect to enjoy it, but I reserve the right not to. I reserve the right not to follow anybody blindly, whether in media or in politics or in religion. Jesus says, keep your eyes open, focus, and check your foundation. It's not as easy as claiming, well, I did it for Jesus. Do you remember what he says in, in Matthew 7? This is the chilling part. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and your name perform many miracles? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. If you don't watch out, you're going to think, well, if we don't do everything exactly right, then it's, we could be lost thinking we were saved. No, that's not what he is saying. That would be awful. Think of Paul. Let's go to Paul in Romans chapter 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you see very many qualifications there? I don't know. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. Sermon on the Mount is a heart lesson. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. We're going to use that word here in a bit. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone, whoa, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Wait, wait, didn't, didn't Jesus say they wouldn't? Got to take it into context. Remember, a, con a text without a context is a pretext. You got to read it in situ, where it was, who wrote it, who it was directed to. He's saying profess. When we say profess, we generally mean to say out loud. That is one of the meanings. But please remember, we also have a word in English called profession. The way you live your life. Paul is saying, does your life reflect Jesus is my Lord? That's hard sometimes. When you're in traffic trying to get into Opera Mills. <laughs> Actually, just to get past it. To go look at lights. Sometimes it's easy to leave Jesus out of the car. I was struggling because I was driving Cammie's SUV and she was listening to K-Love, so he was in there. And I was, was kind of hard to interrupt him with a complaint. I tried. Sometimes it's hard whenever somebody steps in front of you or bumps you. Sometimes it's hard when somebody overcharges you. Somebody it's hard when somebody abuses you. Sometimes it's hard. But remember, we have one Lord. He is Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount are our marching orders. We, looked at the, we started this look by starting at the end. Remember I told you that I was surprised. But I read books by Randy Harris and Scott McKnight, and they both said, if you want to understand the Sermon on the Mount in modern American terms, you need to start at the end and then read through. Because at the end, he says, you got to do these things. This is our foundation. It's a do. The do comes at the end. Are you building your life on the foundation of Jesus or something else? It's time for us to have a spiritual gut check. I told my class a few weeks ago, and an online listener sent me in a picture of the page saying, you were right. 
Sometimes in our religious tribe, we tell everybody, lay aside your religious traditions immediately. Those are all bad. Ours are all good. And then we don't live that. Long time ago, remember that songbook, the Dead Tree edition of uh, praise stuff? Had little dots in it. Um, we had a songbook. It was the very one that people were throwing when I was there. And then it was upgraded. And, but it wasn't upgraded uh, with a, a lot of extra songs. And we had a guy write a song, which I later have referred to as the Church of Christ National Anthem, called Our God, He is Alive. But he wrote it, and the book was already printed. And we're, we go 50 or 60 years between books. So he wanted to sell the song, so he printed it on gum-backed pieces of paper and shipped it to people. So you'd get it, and you and stick it in the back. Seven, we had 728 songs in our songbook, so this was 728B. Later, a new songbook was, was printed. It was still called 728B. We had 900 songs in the book. But it was still, the next songbook was printed. It was still 728B. It was three songbooks for us to get rid of a B. Maybe we're not qualified to tell everybody else to drop their traditions. Maybe instead we should understand that they, like we, are trying to follow Jesus the best we can. And sometimes we're going to get it wrong. But that's all right, because we're not saved by being perfect. We're saved by he who is perfect. And if ever we think that our precision obedience guarantees us a spot, and don't think about Jesus, we're in trouble. What's your foundation? Do you work for peace? You know, go back through. Go back through the Sermon on the Mount. Do you hunger and thirst after righteousness? Do you work for peace? Are you open about your faith? Youth, this is tough. This is very tough. But I want to tell you something. If you cannot be open about your faith in Nashville, and this is six flags over Jesus. Third church is everywhere. If you can't be open about your faith here, you have no shot when you go to university. You got no hope out in the real world. It can get tough out there when you open up about your faith. People are going to say nasty things about you and nasty things about your Lord. Keep your Christianity anyway. Be salt. Be light. It's going to be tough. But is that your foundation? Do you refuse to commit adultery? Refuse to go down a path that's even going to lead to that? Do you keep your oaths? Do you keep your promises? Do you love your enemies? Do you pray for them? I, you know something? That's hard for me sometimes. I catch myself halfway through the prayer praying about them instead of for them. You know what I mean? It's not quite Lord smite them, but it hovers on the edge. And so Holy Spirit has to give me a kicking to bring me back into line to pray for my enemies. Do you give what you have to the poor? Do you give to those who can never return the favor? That's Sermon on the Mount stuff. Is that your foundation? Do you do all of this to enhance the reputation of Jesus? Or do we do it to enhance our own reputation? Do we invest our treasures, the best you've got in heaven? Can I go back to the women? I talked about the women during the Lord's Supper comments. Ladies, I know that you do most of the child raising. I'm aware 
that stereotypical broad brush, but it's true most of the time. So let me talk to you for a minute. The world does not value those who stay home and raise children or those who have another job but then have to come home and raise children. They don't value that, but you are pouring treasure into these children. That's a good place to put it. It is the highest calling that I can imagine is to raise children. And you are doing an amazing thing there. Amazing. I love it. Where are you putting your treasure? My wife always makes Christmas jammies for the kids, and she was afraid that our oldest eight wouldn't be interested. He was excited. He went on and on. These are the best jammies ever. These are wonderful. You made, how did, and he kept asking me, how did she make these? And I'm thinking, boy, are you asking the wrong guy? <laughs> I wasn't even in the room when it happened. I made up something about fairies and angel dust, but the point, the point is, she's pouring into them, and they know where love lives. Great. Where are you putting your treasures? Don't throw it out there. Why? Back in the old days when you only had the one phone, families could be fighting. The phone rang. Hello. Why, why would you give your best to a stranger? Where are you putting your treasures? Where are you putting your treasures? When I was in Michigan, I'd only been up there for a few months working at that church. When the elders came to me and they said, we have an emergency meeting. We have to meet after Wednesday night. And, you know, it was Wednesday. We need you to come in. It's going to take a couple hours. And I said, no. And they, they stared at me. They'd never had a minister tell them no before. This is new. They said, what? They, they went through it a few times. I said, no. Cammy's out of town. I've got Duncan, and Duncan needs to get home for bed. It's school tomorrow. And they were saying, but this problem, and I said, you know something? I have no interest in fixing that problem and losing my son. After a while, they got to where they really appreciated that, and they enjoyed that, and they taught others. I'm not saying that was one time I'm good. I'm not trying to tell you I'm always good. No. But I love it when somebody catches me being good. The, so like when you see somebody in Costco and you're thinking, what's in my cart? What's in my cart? You know, that's, that's one. <laughs> you have to drape yourself over the cart. Hi. <laughs> you know. I like being caught doing good. And that was good. Where's your treasure? Where's your best? Is your best in heaven or for heavenly things? Or is it given to others? Do you, you refuse to judge others? But instead, work on your own faults, as Jesus said. The planks in your own eyes. Work on your own salvation. Cleaning up your own messes. So which way are you facing? It would be a tragedy to go through the Sermon on the Mount and then walk away and forget it. James says, it's like looking in a mirror then walking away and forgetting what you saw. What have we seen? I'll be 61 here in a few weeks. It, when I read the Sermon on the Mount, it still kicks me a bit. Do you remember what I told you on the first Sunday? I said, start reading the Sermon on the Mount and notice when you quit nodding. That's where it's going to hit you and go, oh, that again. What is your foundation? Which way are you facing? Let's stand and have a look at a scripture out of 2 Corinthians.
First Corinthians, sorry. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. Is it possible to go back one slide, please? That first slide. I don't know what stuff. I push buttons every now and then. There we are. I'm going to ask you to read aloud that first verse. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Amen, church. Amen. 